we're uh, getting some of those songs learnt. Uh, I can remember back so far, and uh, I guess that's about 50 years ago or more, and uh, it'd be more like 60 years, I guess. Uh, we sang some of those songs, so it's a little hard to bring them back, but uh, uh, they were good songs, and we did enjoy them when we were there in those circumstances. Last week, I spoke on part of the Ten Commandments, didn't finish them. So (laughs) uh, there's three yet to go. One kind of is a crossover. I did part of it last week, and uh, I'll just... Um, give most of it today in a different way so that that'll be uh, number 8, 9, and 10 of the commandments. So follow with me. That commandment is thou shalt not steal. So we're going to be talking about that and and, uh, ramifications of it, I guess you could say. If I look at uh, extensive notes that I've got because I've also been building this for another reason. And I'm going to be leaving out quite a few verses so that it'll go faster and uh, we'll be able to uh, accomplish these three commandments. Uh, the um, first thing that I want to talk about is uh, how were the people taught to regard property? Nowadays, there's an awful lot of disregard for people's properties. They'll steal it. They'll take anything they want. They'll leave anything in disarray. Um, They'll throw stuff in the grass and let it rust. You catch it later with the lawnmower. Uh, (laughs) uh, Boy, oh boy. There's a different way of going around at it now. What was done with the cause for the cause of stealing, if people would be stealing? Well, in... uh, Exodus 22, verse 1, it says, If a man steal an ox or a sheep or kill kill it or, uh, or sell it, he shall restore five oxen for, one o- for an ox and four sheep for one sheep. And I remember saying that last week. So this is kind of where we're going into the next part here. Um, and what... Uh, But man-stealing, you remember that maybe last week as well, that I mentioned about man-stealing. There's a verse in Exodus 21, verse 16, that reads this way, And he that stealeth a man, and selleth him, or if he were found with him in his hand, uh, he shall surely be put to death. And if you read those verses that are near there, every so many verses it says this is how you're going to get rid of evil out of your country this is how you're going to fix your problems this was kidnapping there was no fooling around with this if you broke the law of kidnapping you went to death well the United States made it really harsh after um, the Lindbergh problem and uh, look that up in history they made it extremely high but they generally just left them in jail forever and that's not scriptural. Somebody steals from you, he pays back, he gets himself straight with the economy and with society, and he's forgiven, he's started over, things are done right, or he's dead, one or the other. So um, if you could straighten things out, where, uh, last week I guess I said it too, where they would, um, 
One man gets his property stolen from him, and they catch the bad guy, and the goodies are probably gone, so the neighbor never gets his stuff back. And then they put him in jail, and the guy that had the loss, your neighbor, that the Bible talks about your neighbor, take care of your neighbor, he pays income tax to keep the guy in jail. There's something wrong with that system. <laughs> yes, he should be paying it back and getting his, his, his outlook on life and his family uh, rapport, rapport and so on. Get that paid off, get it cleared, and then he's in society again, uh, not the other way around. Where, um, but we don't control those things. We have to live with the system that's here for us. Um, when Jesus was asked about what's going to happen now under Jesus' system, because he said he was, setting, he was a king and he was going to be setting up a kingdom and so on. Um, so they asked him, and he said, If thou wilt enter into life, keep the commandments. So there was a very important thing about um, what you did with the commandments of God, that you would keep them. Um, there's a verse in uh, Ephesians 4.28. This is new, again, in the new world, new for Jesus even, and after Jesus' time. It reads this way, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, and, uh, and the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. A um, little difficult reading there, but um, Paul said that. And um, in, I guess, Matthew uh, 19, 20, pardon me, Matthew, in Jesus' time, Matthew 19, 17, and 18 is a short version of the commandment, thou shalt do no murder. So, of course, I looked up the word murder to see how many verses I would find in the scripture as well as kill, how many scriptures you'd find. And the next part of that verse says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. So the three things in that one thing that Jesus talked about. And then in Ephesians, you find the one where if you steal, don't do it anymore. Quit doing that. And earn wages that you can give to others that are in need. Don't steal, but rather work to help with giving to others. Uh... What becomes of thieves? In First uh, Corinthians chapter six and verse ten, it reads this way: "Nor thieves, kind of starting in the middle of a verse, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners shall so none of these, nor this, nor this, nor this shall inherit the kingdom of God." That's pretty serious. People think, oh, I, I just stole a pen or I just stole a little thing. It's, nobody's going to miss it. It's pretty serious. They won't inherit the kingdom of God. That's really a bad one. Turn with me to uh, Malachi. Here's Old Testament verse, but almost in the New Testament. Let's go to Malachi and chapter 3. I'll start with verse 8, so we get a little continuity. 
But this would pop out of the page if it was the first statement that was given to you. And this happens to be the first words of a paragraph that somebody decided this is where a good place would be to divide the scriptures. Verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? It's bad enough to think of it without the word God on the end. Would you rob me? But God is talking here. So that's verse 8. Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. So now we know it is God that's talking. But ye shall, but ye shall say, uh, where, wherever have we robbed thee in tithes and offerings? Is the answer coming back. So people are saying, how did I rob from you? You're a God, you're, you're above all of this, and uh, how could I rob you? And then God returns in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. He's scolding everybody in that whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me, now wherewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And one more verse. And I will rebuke the devourer, the, the bugs and all the other things that would be bad, um, for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the, in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. It's Heavenly Father talking to us. He can make it that he can command the destroying elements to be done away with, balanced, gotten rid of, choked out, the weeds will be gone. The, the bugs will be gone. He can do that. So that we would be able to get the fruit of our ground. We'd be able to have blessings. That we'd have abundance. And we can store them. It'd be worthwhile storing. And he says, I am the Lord of hosts. I've got, I'm in charge of this. But God, back in the middle of verse 10 or towards the beginning of verse 10, he says, prove me. When he's talking about meat, he's not talking about animal that has been butchered. And, you know, it includes that. But this is more of the food that you get from the ground, the vegetables and plants and other things, berries and so on. Uh, but he said, bring it into my storehouse and prove me. Test, test me out. See if this is going to work. He says, you try me. You, you, you make the test of paying the tithe and expecting to see it multiply, see it grow. And um, we don't serve God for that reason. But he said, you can try me. Test me out. See if it works. And he said, then he will open the windows of heaven and pour out the blessings. We will have abundance. You know, I hate to talk about my life, but that's my only measuring stick. <laughs> but when we had to go to conference or wanted to go to conference, and we had this big garden, very big garden, very nice we picked everything we could find. We looked through all the leaves and found all the littlest ones and said, might as well pick them because they're going to be too big when we get home. When we got back from the conference enjoying God's blessings and God's ways and God's things, 
We didn't think about our garden anymore. It'll be all right. God's taking care of it. When we got home, we had zucchini. And they had strong skin on the outside. You could put them in the basement on a sheet of paper. And they were good for all number of months afterwards. They were good. You didn't have to right away can them or anything. We had potatoes. Oh, boy, did we have potatoes. And you, you go on down the list and all the things that was in the garden. We just really reaped. The back seat, we opened the door, uh, opened the trunk, and we took a picture of the whole works with the kids standing in front of us holding these potatoes and so on. And God really blessed us. We didn't lose any of that neither. They didn't rot and spoil. We got them all. God had, to, had set it up for us. We can test God. You can... We don't plan on, I'm going to give $10 today and I'm going to see 20 come back to me. That's, that's the wrong idea. But over and over and over, we've seen where paying tithe has been a real advantage. This one. <laughs> we've earned money through serving God for paying our tithes and so on. We've seen it come back. Um, 14-year-old vehicle running so good, I, I don't want to give it up. Right? Those, is it only 14? Seven and seven? Or? It's 20-year-old now? Oh, boy. Okay. Two more years went on there. 20-year-old vehicle, and we love it. We're so thankful that God takes care of us. Uh, he didn't give us potato for potato. I can see that. But <laughs> okay. These are blessings that God wants to give to us. It says, just try me out. You, you try. You give to the Lord and, and watch what happens. Okay, then, so that's the end of that commandment. I could, I could try to look in here, and there's some more from, um, uh, from the Old Testament, some from the New Testament. I'm saving those for Sabbath school lessons. We'll have these in Sabbath school lessons. I think there is one on here that I... Oh, yes. Um, w- when we think of some of the rules of stealing and so on, we go back and we look in Genesis 31, 29 through 34. Seven, and I'm obviously not going to read that. It's a lengthy reading. But it's in Genesis 31. And what is here? There's Laban and Jacob and Rachel. Some of those things were wrong done, but they were blessed by God. A number of things happening there. We can say this rule of tithing was prior to to giving the commandments in Genesis, uh, in Exodus 20. It's always good to go back and look at some of those far back verses and far back chapters to uh, glean some of those things and say, yep, that's happening. Uh, Okay, I want to go forward. I'm going to turn this page off here and start on the next one. This is uh, chapter 9, or lesson, pardon me, commandment number 9. Commandment number nine. Thou shalt not bear false witness against uh, thy neighbor. That's in uh, Exodus 20 and verse 16. Some of these things again grab you when you look at the older lessons that we can learn. Do you remember Isaac's false witness that he gave in, in Genesis 26? I'm going to look that one up. I'm going to go to verse 6 there in Genesis 26. Some of these I've put papers in so I can go a little faster. 26 and 
26. And I'm going to be reading verse uh, 6. 6 through 11. Okay, in, uh, uh, to sort of get the stage going, we got Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charges and my commandments and my statutes and my laws. That, that's where we are, like an N6. And Isaac dwelt in uh, Gezer. And the uh, men of the place asked him for a wife. And he said, she is my sister. That was not true. He just got himself in trouble. He lied. And he tried to get away with this falsehood, bearing false witness. So read that sometime. That would be a good, good read to find out what he did wrong and how it came around to bite him, you might say. He lied. He said, that's my sister. Well, indirectly, there was a connection of being his sister. So kind of a half-truth. You know, those little white lies, they're still lies, Right? So he almost got himself in a whole lot of trouble. And Isaac, uh, Esau, Jacob, and Rebekah, do you remember that story? Somebody lied. That's in uh, Genesis 27, the whole chapter. So I'm not going to read all of that. But here's the situation. Uh, Isaac was dying, and he says, bring in my boys. And the mother got involved, that's Rachel got involved, she said, well, we'll just change your, your clothing. We'll get the boys' clothing out of the cupboard so that you'll smile like your, your brother. And while your brother's out there hunting for deer meat for your dad, uh, for the grandpa or the dad, I guess, um, he said, we'll sneak you in. With, uh, she'll fix the meat and everything, and, and then she can serve it to him. And he'll give the blessing to the second son instead of the first son. Oh, the lies just start building. Do you remember all the problems that happened afterwards? Years and years and years after, there's still problems with the same situation because of lies. Well, when God said, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not bear false witness, he meant it. It just brings a whole lot of trouble. There used to be a saying, I don't think I'd get it, but uh, when at first you plan to deceive, (laughs) Look that one up sometime. Yeah. Just gets worse. Just gets deeper and deeper. Uh, Here's one for you as well. Um, In uh, uh, Exodus 23 in verse 1. Thou shalt not, not raise a false report... Put not thy hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. You know, you hear a problem and you can say, well, uh, I'll cover you on that one or I'll agree with you on that one. You give a handshake or whatever, get involved with somebody. And we're not supposed to do that. Don't raise a false report on those things. Well, right below this, I started thinking about this. Uh, we need to notice the commandment does not forbid bearing false witness. How should we notice this? That the commandment forbids 
It does. Forbid the false witness. It does not necessarily mean only that one should not take, not make up a lie. People try to make up a lie, but what they actually want is you with them on the deal. We knowingly give it speed and circulation if we tell it to others. Well, I heard this bad story, and I'm going to tell you about it, but you don't tell anybody else. And they do the same thing to the next person, and to the next person, to the next person, and the story keeps going. Uh, what have we got now? Email. We've got Facebook and some of those others. We've got um, it's telephones. <laughs> All kinds of things where we hear false reports. And we say, well, it's, it's not that bad, a false report. It's just, maybe it's right. Maybe we heard a bad thing about this person. And you know what I heard the other day? And you're carrying that false report. You're bearing false witness. So the lie is not there. You're bearing this burden, this lie, on to other people. That's where it really becomes trouble. So it's a little bit of tangle there with um, what was commanded that you can get away with, some think, or bearing false witness that you shouldn't be doing. Bearing false witness. It's, it's a lie. And usually when things like that start going, it ends up with a lot more trouble with uh, uh, thieves and um, liars and cheaters and you name it. It just goes on and on, doesn't it? Uh, okay, I'm going over this next page about robbers and stealers and uh, standing in community. Oh, somebody can destroy through bad uh, suggestions from one to the other, and then that person carries it to another, your uh, credibility, your ID, and so on, all that can be destroyed in your community because somebody told a lie to start with. And somebody else carried a false report, and it starts getting worse and worse and worse until somebody's livelihood and mannerism, behavior, can all be destroyed. So here I've got a, a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. And starting with verse 12. Verse 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, I'll say some, of, uh, some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead. First he's going to build this little cause, and then he's going to put in cause and fact, and it kind of plays on you a little bit. You have to watch these words, how it's going. Verse 13, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, he said, if that's true, then Christ is not risen. Oh boy. Now you're making a problem because a false report, you might say, could get going. Verse 14, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain, and our faith is also vain. You're going cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Verse 15, yea, if we be found false witnesses of God, we're, we're going to be punished for that, is what he's saying. If I'm a false witness person, somebody else has spread it on, and God's going to catch up with me, and I'm going to be in big trouble. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he 
raised up not, raised not up. If so be that the dead rise not. He's going back, he's making this full circle. If this is not true, then this can't happen, then that can't happen, and we're a false witness, and God's going to call us on the judgment day. We've got to start with the right premise and complete it properly so that the, the true lesson comes through. Otherwise, the, the apostle could be, a, and, and his helpers could be a false witnesses. It was serious. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Now, if they're going to teach this, that he didn't rise, then how do you know Jesus rose? We've got to get the facts straight, right? A little further. If Christ be not raised, your faith is, is vain, and, we are, and ye are yet in your sins. So I like to, to hear this more in other things because people will say, well, so-and-so went to heaven and he's in the arms of Jesus. But then you go back and find out that nobody left this earth. Where's that? Acts? Where they were talking about David is still in the grave? He didn't go to heaven. He didn't get his reward. Then they go into, you can, we can all go into Hebrews. They are yet waiting for their reward and they're not going to receive their reward without us. How can I say that he already went and he's singing with the angels? That's a lie. If it's a lie, we're here in this lesson. We're liars. Wow. And we're going to have to answer to God just like he was saying. Is, hey, you guys are putting me in a bad way. God's going to call me on the carpet one day. Say, why did you say that? We just heard it this week that somebody went to be with the arms of Jesus. And Jesus said, nobody's gone to heaven except the one that came from heaven. We're going to get these facts straight. Connect the dots. And get, them, get the facts straight. Okay, uh, I want to look at this other paper for a moment. Because I'm sure i got something in here as well. This is on that ninth commandment. Oh, you're lucky I've got it all in, in type and it's not underlined and not dotted. <laughs> okay, so I won't have to uh, give an extra on here. I gave you pretty good. Okay, let's go on to the last commandment, the tenth commandment. Tenth commandment, what is it about? The law against covetousness. And I had to be careful too when I was looking these up. I had to look up covet and covetousness and I tried to look up covetedness or something or other, covetedness. Um, there was two verses with that in it and they weren't what we were trying to get here, not, not trying to support anything at all. It just happened to be a statement the way it was worded in probably King James. But we are not to um, covet people. And something before Mount Sinai. So let's go back to uh, Genesis chapter 13. Some people want to say these laws only exist after Moses wrote them down. And no, they're wrong there. God wrote them first off. Okay. Here we are in uh, Genesis chapter 13. 
And I've got verse 8. Oh, I guess that's just to identify who is here. And Abraham said unto Lot. So this helps you know, you know, what's happening. Who's, who's the story about? So we want to go down to verse 10 and definitely verse 13. Verse 10. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the uh, plain of Jericho. Jordan, sorry, Jordan, uh, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. The land was so good. He's saying this is the garden of the Lord. So well watered. And it's not like Egypt. Or was it? Because he says, like the land of Egypt. Well, they were glad to be out of there, I'm sure. But they had plenty of water from the rivers coming down to the delta. And they were able to use that water and cultivate and make a living. Uh, And thou comest unto Zorah. So if you were traveling there and trying to see this good land of Egypt, you'd be by Zorah. So that's just who is there. But what did he do? He lifted up his eyes. Well, he was given a challenge. Uh, We've got too many people here. Your servants, my servants, all the animals and all the other people that are here, all the family members, we we can't sustain this. We have to divide. There's going to be troubles. So we're going to divide. Uh, Would you like to be first choice? Oh, yeah, let me in on that one. (laughs) That's what I'm kind of getting from this. He lifted up his eyes and said, wow, look at this land. Look at the watering here. Look at how many things I can get from here. Um, He wanted to do all that he could. Then we go down to verse 13. He pitched it, uh, verse 12 even. Abraham was uh, setting up his land, but in the middle there, Lot dwelt in the cities of the plains and pitched his tent towards Sodom. I remember hearing this in other sermons when I was young. You say, well, this is so good. No, I'm not going to look over there. Wow. And this big city over here, just think of all the merchandise that we can do. So I'm going to set my tent so that I can see what's going on. Covetous. Coveting. That's what it's going to add up to. Did he miss the other part that's in the next verse? But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly, evidently known to the people of that time frame. So here's Lot knowing that this is that, that city is that bad. But I'm going to live here anyway. I won't move too close. I'll just point my tent that way. Covetousness. What did he get out of it? Awful mess. Oh, lost his wife, lost his one or two daughters and, and their son-in-laws. And then he had the two daughters with him and that turned into a mess of two more national companies, countries that were not allowed to go in the temple. Wow. Start looking at who this is. And what happened? If he had obeyed God to start with and not been covetous, then a lot better off. I remember one in the Old Testament where the boy decided, I'm going to have a, a wife. And mom, she looks real good. Get her for me. And mom says, now, wait a minute now. In your own tribes, you're supposed to marry within your own tribes. There's 12 of them. Surely there's somebody over here that you can have. No, I don't want anybody else but that one. Did he have a lot of trouble with her? Oh, boy, yeah. 
Read that story. He shouldn't have gotten there in the first place. But how about 1 John 1 and verse 10? 1 John, a little John. One in verse 10. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Nobody better challenge that. Get yourself ready for the Lord. Get you ready for baptism and accepting Christ and crying at the altar, weeping between the porch and the altar. Get serious with God. Because this is not a good idea to be calling God a liar. We need to fix that problem. What will become of liars? Well, in Revelations 21 and verse 8, it says, But the fearful, well, I can't do that because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of cold water. I'm afraid of the icy water, the ice floating on the water. I'm afraid I you know, can't do that. Ah, uh, no, wait a minute now. Fearful. Everybody has some kind of fear, I guess, but we've got to get, get a handle on it. Back to that reading. If I leave out a little bit. And all liars... The fearful, the unbelieving, the abominable, and three dots. And all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. That's Revelations 21, verse 8. And people are not afraid to say that the uh, reindeer fly through the sky. And there's a big fat man that rides with them. And he's got this big sack of goodies, candies, as well as gifts for every person in the whole world. Impossibility. He's going to come down a chimney. A lot of houses don't have chimneys, and if they had fireplaces, a fat guy couldn't get down it anyway. That's an outright lie. And they perpetuate this. They go on and on and on. They got the radar. They can see the, the reindeer flying through the sky. They come, reindeer do not fly. That's a lie. Wow. Lies upon lies upon lies. And it says that they will have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone. That's serious. Very serious. And that's towards the end of the Bible. That's Revelations 21 verse 8. Not much time left for repentance at that point. There's going to be many that are going to call for the rocks to fall on them because they did all kinds of wrong things. And judgment day is coming. There is a day when it's going to be tallied up. Judgment day. You remember when Jesus said, when I come, he's going to divide the sheep from the goats? How much time is left then for apologies? It's too late. Remember the ones that had a little oil but not enough, and they said, well, we've got to go and buy. There's five wise and five foolish. So the five wise went on to the, to the uh, food and, and happiness, but the door was shut, it says. Then the other five came, knocked on the door, and they weren't let in. They couldn't get in. Other places as well, it says, I don't even know you. I don't know who you are. 
those things are serious that we've got to think on and, and plan ahead on how we serve God and how we're going to make sure that we're right with God. There's one here, a verse in Ephesians 4 and verse 25. Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor. That is wise ideas. Put away lying. Speak truth only. And here's another one in Philippians 4 and verse 8. It's saying when you need something to think on, something that you need to talk about, some thoughts that you're trying to put together, why not take the good ones? It says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are, are honest, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are of good report, not an evil report or a false report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Wonderful ideas. I've got uh, some more below this too. I think I turned the page or maybe I didn't. Just a second. Um, going on down here, the warning. This was warning from Jesus about covetousness. Whatsoever things, no, pardon me, uh, uh, in Luke chapter 12, 15. And he saith unto them, that's Jesus talking, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth, of not, of, consisteth not in the abundance of the things that he possesses. For after those things that we want, and we want to try to get them, that's the wrong idea because you'll never get enough sort of thing. The um, uh, abundance of what you have is wrong, especially if you're getting it by covetousness. Um, should be one, one more verse here that I'm after. How did Paul talk about this? In uh, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 11, But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man is called a brother is a fornicator or covetousness, covetous, or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one not to eat. Those are serious words. Shame the person that is way out there and shouldn't be doing those things. And then don't eat with them. Um, just say, I'm sorry. But your lifestyle, your, your uh, way of doing things, your behavior is um, not going to fly here. Can, Paul considered covetousness as sin. And he's pointed that out even right here. We're not even to eat with them. Um, another thought here. With what other sins is covetousness classed? Covetousness, I talked about other sins and uh, mannerism, behaviors and lying and so on. What are all these sins covered in what classification? This verse in Colossians 3, 5, 3 verse 5. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, 
evil concupiscence and um, covetousness, which is idolatry. Idolatry says that you're breaking the first commandment. God said, there's no other God except me. And you say, well, I got my own. Well, that's not going to fly. So all of these bad things that I just named are all classified in the same soup. They're all going to get the same trouble. They're all going to call, be called up before God. In Matthew 22 and, and verse uh, 37 to 40, Let's look at that one for just a moment because I probably won't be able to quote it correctly or all of it. Matthew 22. What's Jesus have to say here? Matthew. Matthew 22. going to start at 37. A couple of verses here. The guys came to him and said, Master, what is the great commandment in the law? Okay, if we got one commandment, we'll handle it. <laughs> uh, no, you're not going to catch Jesus that way. And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Okay, there you are, there's one. Now, are you going to be able to do it? Loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? That's a big job. You need prayer, you need the Holy Spirit's guidance, you need help. And he said, that's just one of the commandments. Okay, next, verse 38. This is the first and great commandment, and 39 says, and the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. If you kind of expand those two, you say, oh boy, this is a job and a half too, to love your neighbor. On these two commandments hangs all the law and the prophets. You can't do away with the law or you're throwing Jesus' words out. You can't do away with that. You have to deal with this verse. We have to be able to get along with our neighbors and with our uh, countrymen and so on. Well, we know the first four commandments and the Sabbath. That's towards the Heavenly Father and how much we serve Him. The other six is about the man that's next to us, the people that we live with and deal with, how we love them and how we take care of them. I think that's got you. I think that's good. If you haven't done one other reading that might be good to look up, would be to read the Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy. Whoa. Now that's interesting. Exodus is the one that we think, well, Moses went up, Got them, wrote them. God wrote them first ones, and then he, he dropped them, and he had them cut more stones and get them ready, and went up, and God wrote the second ones also, and then he brought them down. Those commandments, they were put in the Ark of the Covenant. What about the ones in Deuteronomy? Almost the same wording, but just a little different. It's good to know those things. Hope I've challenged you some. May God bless you.